everybody? Good morning. All this talk about uh, Chipotle and Cadoba and all that, um, uh, some of you have heard me say before, when we first moved here, we, we, don't have, we didn't have much Mexican food in England, so I didn't know how to pronounce things. So we went out and uh, I ordered an enchilada, <laughs> followed by a burrito and a taco. So that was really awkward, but there you go. So. Uh, new series, Exile, Embracing Life as It Is. We're looking not so much at the book of Daniel, but really the story of Daniel that's described in the book. And we're asking a series of questions, the first of which this weekend is, where do we live? Life in a second-choice world. Uh, John Stott, great uh, preacher and theologian, uh, he said that preachers, when it comes to preparing sermons, they should isolate the dominant thought. And that's normally something that happens in preparation but isn't necessarily shared. But I thought, why don't I do just that as we dive into this? What, what am I talking about this weekend? Well, here it is. Life doesn't always give us exactly what we would choose. But when that happens, Daniel teaches us that we can still thrive. What about this second choice living phrase that we're using? Well, that's simply when circumstances occur that would not be our choice. That's second choice living, and Daniel shows us how to thrive in that. So Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, events that happened 2,600 years ago. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And those three got name changes in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then we're turning to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter in the New Testament, Peter begins that letter by addressing the Christians as exiles. He's using this imagery to describe what the Christians were experiencing. And then in the second chapter of 1 Peter, he says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I think I inherited the characteristic that I'm about to describe in me from my mother. My mom was, was great, but she never took the time to carefully read instructions or directions or recipes. This led to some truly horrifying meals. 
some of which I believe could have been used as weapons. They were that bad. And I think she passed that trait on to me. I tremble when I buy a piece of furniture only to discover a label that says self-assembly required. This leads my wife Kay to a time of screaming intercession because she knows what is going to happen. It happens every time. I read the first paragraph of the instructions. How many of you are like this? And then I get bored with it. And I think, ah, this this is easy. And four hours later, after much muttering, punctuated by phrases like, oh, praise the Lord, (laughs) I find I've got something left over at the end, like a door, you know, something (laughs) like that. If only I'd taken the time to stop and read the instructions and understand them. I feel that way about the book of Daniel. It's one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible, alongside the book of Revelation. People either ignore it because it's too complex and difficult to understand, or they jump to conclusions about it. And so when we were talking about this series, people would say, what's happening? What's the next teaching series? We'd say, Daniel. And they'd immediately say, oh yeah, that's the the, the lion's den. Or that's kind of weird dreams and visions about the second coming of Jesus. And it is, but it's about more than that. The late, great Eugene Peterson said, I've never understood why Daniel, who for so long held a prominent position in the biblical pantheon of the wise, in our times became marginalized into a children's song, Dare to be a Daniel, or depersonalized into a puzzle piece in a scenario for the end times. Contained in the book of Daniel... There are principles that are 2,600 years old, but I want to suggest that they are right up to date for us, and I wish I'd learned some of these principles and applied them in my own life through the years. So let's dive in. First of all, let's understand the context here. The the first point in in your program, setting the scene, setting the scene, exile. As I said, 2,600 years ago, Uh, Around 587 BC, uh, the Babylonians, under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, came to attack Jerusalem. The nation had been warned by the prophet Jeremiah that unless they straightened up, that judgment and exile was coming. Uh, They ignored that, and they found themselves under attack. The city of Jerusalem was under siege for a number of months, and at last Jerusalem fell, Uh, Many people died and the temple was plundered. And then some of the brightest and the best were deported, uprooted from their homes and carried off to Babylon, um, including Daniel and some of his friends. All right, now that's the historical overview. So let me try that. Let me try that again. Newsflash. Jeremiah warns, trouble and national disaster ahead if we don't change our ways. Breaking news, the Babylonian army is on the march and heading our way. News update, we've been under siege for months now, supplies are almost gone, we're starving. Latest, Jerusalem has fallen into the hands of the enemy, many die, the temple has been plundered. 
Announcement, citizens of Jerusalem. If you've been selected for deportation, report to your emigration station tomorrow by 6 a.m. Imagine, imagine how it felt. Your home is not your own anymore. It's taken from you. You're taken away from your beloved Jerusalem. You're taken from the promised land that God gave you, the temple, the feasts and the festivals that consolidated your faith in their cycle of celebration. And effectively, you're imprisoned. And this is not just a political act, it's a spiritual act because Nebuchadnezzar plunders the temple and puts the items in the temple to his God. And, and the people struggled. How do, we, how do we respond to this? And some people wanted to rebel. And some people wanted to just form a ghetto and separate themselves from the culture. But Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who had warned about this, he sets out a third way in Jeremiah 29. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile, says the Lord. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so Daniel and his friends, rather than resisting or getting into a ghetto, they were called to hold a line to not compromise in certain areas, as we're going to see. But they navigated this by praying even for the blessing of their captors. So, so what's all this got to do with us all these years later? I suggest it's in completely, it is completely relevant. That's the next thing. You see, point number two, we've all got green cards. We've all got green cards. We are resident Aliens. Now, I, I need to just warn you about something before I show it to you. Uh, I am a resident alien of this great nation. I have a green card. It's blue. It's never been green. But they call it green, and if you want to call green blue, that's what freedom is about. You know, that's absolutely fine. Uh, but I need to warn you, it's pretty horrifying. I, I, I showed my green card uh, to a gate agent uh, getting on a plane, and he literally jumped back and went, whoa, that's bad. And so, if you're of a nervous disposition, here it is. Here's, look, look at that. Oh. Horrendous. And I'm also a little bit nervous about showing you my green card because I did this one time before to illustrate the truth that we, in Jesus, we're all resident aliens. I'll explain that for a moment. And I got into trouble here at Timberline. I got an email from a lady. She said, I'm really offended and I'm leaving the church because you, Pastor Jeff, said that we're all resident aliens, that we're not citizens of America. And, I'm and I said, I didn't say that at all. And so I emailed her back, and, and I said, which service were you in? She said, I, I wasn't at a service. My husband was at the service, and he came and told me what you said. I said, how long have you been here? She said, I've never been there. So I said, so ma'am, you're leaving a church that you haven't been to because of something I didn't say in a service that you weren't in. Welcome to the world of a pastor. <laughs> and can I just say, ma'am, if you happen to be here today, 
We're so thrilled that you finally arrived. <laughs> We're all resident aliens. Actually, if you have a pulse, you're a resident alien, whether you're a Christian or not. What do I mean by that? Well, we're all in exile from the Garden of Eden. We're all away from the home that we should have in God. And in the Garden of Eden, they were exiled because of sin, and that led to the building of the Tower of Babel, or Babel. Jesus then comes because he's the way home, the way, the truth, and the life. And he says stuff like, in my father's house, there are many mansions. In other words, I'm the way, come home. The book of Revelation is a picture of the people of God being at home with his people forever. But actually, all people, first of all, are in exile. And then this point is in your outline. All Christians in every age are aliens and foreign citizens. Hebrews 11:13 talks about foreigners and strangers on the earth. That's us. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians 3, and he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, let's just make something clear. He's not saying, heaven is my home, I'm just a passing through. Did you know that ultimately, the earth, the renewed heavens and earth, is going to be your home? Heaven is coming to earth, the new Jerusalem is coming down. When Paul wrote that to the Philippians, he's writing to Roman citizens in Philippi. He's not saying you're all going to go to Rome. He's saying bring the culture of heaven into the city of Philippi. But here's the truth. As Christians, we are no longer in the Garden of Genesis and we are not yet in the Garden of Revelation and so we are resident aliens. But then here's a, a really important point, and that is that Christians in our culture feel increasingly alienated. Over the last week, we have been remembering, have we not, the tragedy that occurred on September the 11th, 2001. And we have been giving thanks for the many first responder heroes, many of whom lost their own lives because of the toxic fumes that they encountered in trying to rescue people caught up in that maelstrom. The world changed on 9-11-2001. Stanley Howells, a theologian and writer, he would suggest that the world also changed one Sunday in September in 1963. Let me explain. He says this, in 1963, in our town, the church was the only show in town. On Sundays, the town closed down. You couldn't even buy a gallon of gas. There was a traffic jam on Sunday mornings at 9.45 when all went to their respective Sunday schools. By overlooking much that was wrong in the world, it was a racially segregated world, remember, people saw a world that looked good and right. In taking a child to Sunday school, parents affirmed everything that was good, wholesome, reasonable, and American. Church, home, and state formed a national consortium that worked together to instill Christian values. People grew up Christian simply by being lucky enough to be born in places like Greenville, South Carolina, or Pleasant Grove, Texas. So what happened one Sunday evening in September in 1963? 
The Fox Theater in one town in South Carolina, in defiance of the local laws, decided to open on Sunday. And when that happened, how else would say, cracks began to appear in the previously Christian culture, which we acknowledge had all kinds of deficiencies, including overlooking the scandal of racial segregation. But the cracks began to appear. And here we find ourselves now somewhat alienated. No longer the majority, but perhaps the minority. No longer the primary voice, often a suppressed voice, living alienated in a culture that, may I suggest, reeks of liberal fundamentalism. What is that? Well, liberal fundamentalism goes like this. You can believe anything you want as long as you don't step out of line with us. The liberal consensus. We, will toler we, we argue for tolerance and inclusion, but I tell you what, we won't tolerate you with all that Christian stuff. And that's where we live, with less power. Actually, we're like the early church. I had a very complex relationship with the state. And some of us Christians, we want to rant. And some of us want to withdraw into the ghetto. Surely there's a third way. We need to ask God to help us, to show us how to live. Kenneth Leach says this, as Christians of the 21st century, we are exiles, strangers and pilgrims, aliens in a strange land. We will need to learn the strategies of survival and to sing the songs of Zion in the midst of Babylon. Resident aliens. Well, let's bring this right down to us where we live. And that is the third point, second choice life. I didn't think it would turn out this way. This series was birthed because a few months ago, we were sitting in a pastor's meeting talking about you. We do that. And we were asking the question, what do we hear from people in the lovely Timberline family? What do people say? And Pastor Brent, one of our team, he said, he said I often hear people say about their lives, I didn't think it would turn out this way. We all want choices. Freedom is about choices. Money is about choices. Choosing where you live, the car you drive, where you go, the food you eat. Health is about choices, not living with restrictions. And we kind of think that we're going to get our first choice. And I believe that we set people up for disappointment at the graduation service at the high school when the speaker says, get out there, you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't, it's a lie. It's a lie. Napoleon Hill said, if you can dream it, you can do it. If you can believe it, you can live it. It's not true. It's not true. Not everyone can be famous. Not everyone can be the president. And what happens is we not only sniff at the ordinary, but we set young people up to only live in a first choice world. And then we get amazed when they struggle when second choices come along. I can't do anything I want. I cannot play the bassoon, fly without tickets, give birth to twins, and my modeling career has never taken off. Don't say a thing. 
And there's a Christian myth as well. If I just pray enough, I'll live in a first choice world, says the evangelist on TV, sitting in a plush studio, forgetting that the apostle Paul broadcast much of his material from a prison cell. Hello. Bib Thomas says, in our ideal first choice world, we choose our jobs, spouse, city, entertainment, company, community, and religion with time and freedom. Most of us like to have our first choice. In the real world, things do not work that smoothly. 7.30 this morning, I spoke to Pastor Dick Foth. He is, he's, he's a wise guy, isn't he? And I, I liked, Pastor Dick was here with Ruth last night, and when I see them in the congregation, I... I like to ask them to give me feedback on the sermon, just to critique it. So if you don't like what you're getting, blame him. It's... And he's like, he's so wise. Like, Dick Foth can order coffee and it sounds brilliant. So I, I called him this morning and, and uh, I asked for his feedback. And, and he made this statement. And he couldn't remember whether he said it first or whether he got it from somebody else. But that's not important right now. He said, life is what happens when you expected something else. Second choice. And look, this is Daniel. He's part of the royal family. A descendant of King Hezekiah. You'd think he'd get his first choice, wouldn't you? But his whole life was second choice. Where he lived, the culture he lived in, the language he spoke, the religion that was practiced. Everything around him was second choice. Now, let's realize that first and second choice living intertwines. You're going to possibly experience both even today. So you're heading for a nice restaurant. That's first choice. You're choosing it because you, you, you like that enchilada. But as you get in the car in the parking lot, you break a nail. And you just had an expensive manicure. I hate it when that happens. Second choice. As you're driving to the restaurant, you drive on I-25, where roadworks are planned for the next 400 years. <laughs> Second choice. And you pull up to the restaurant, and there's a parking space waiting for you. First choice. And as you reverse into the parking space, you nudge another car. Second choice. In the trivial, these things intertwine. Sometimes it's in the tragic, where long-term sickness and bereavement and unemployment and breakdown of relationships and Hurricane Dorian, where the devastation in the Bahamas is more than we can imagine. We welcome back Jerry and Amy and AJ. In our first service this morning, they were caught up in the middle of that. They are talking about evacuating an entire island and just burning it because there are so many bodies. And some of those people are Christians. Let's realize that we live in a broken world. And sometimes we can be angry at God for not delivering what He never promised to deliver in the first place. He never promised first choice. Most of the disciples were martyred. That's not first choice. So there are three questions that I think can help us as we respond to this today. 
The first one is point number four in your outline. What are we sowing? Actions have consequences. You see, in Daniel's story, exile came as a result of idolatry and the people rejecting God consistently. Remember, Jeremiah had warned them, but now exile was a consequence of their poor choices. Now, would you please really listen carefully to what I'm about to say? This is so important. That doesn't mean that when bad stuff happens, it's always a consequence. Sometimes in our broken world, things just happen. People say, what have I done to deserve this? Probably nothing. A consequence. A, a, a difficult circumstance is not always a consequence, but sometimes, sometimes it is. It's bad choices that lead to bad fruit. Some years ago, I got fed up with my computer. It was, how can I describe, the best way I can think of describing it, it had, it had data constipation. <laughs> the best way I can describe it, and so I'm I'm sort of working through, trying to clear this thing up, and I got to a point, this, this, I hated this computer, it was like an IBM Pentium 666 megahertz, <laughs> if you get my drift. And I, I'm tapping through the, and, and, and it, I got to the point where it said, do you want to format your hard drive? Now, for those of you who are not computer literate, let me explain what formatting your hard drive is. It's like taking the top of your head off, taking out your brain, throwing it away, putting the top of your head back on, duh. So it says, do you want to format your hard drive? And I said, yes. And the computer freaked out. It said, are you sure? <laughs> y stroke N. And for a brief moment, my finger hovered over the Y and cataclysmically, I did press Y. <laughs> Everything gone. Forever. And I wish I could tell you that with great Christian maturity, I stood there and said, the Lord has given. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be. No. Aliens on Jupiter heard my screaming. But you see, I pressed a button and suffered the consequences. Is it possible that some of us right now are tiptoeing towards an action and we are about to press Y? And if you press the yes, you're going to lose the respect of your family, sir, and there's going to be disintegration. And ma'am, there's some really poor health stuff down the line that's going to result from that choice that you are making, please know. Please know that it's important to choose well. This often happens when Christianity is a hobby. Christianity makes a terrible hobby. Stanley Jones, E. Stanley Jones says this, we inoculate the world with a mild form of Christianity so that it will be immune to the real thing. The aim of such inoculation is security. Not security in Christ, but security from Christ. And from having to rely on him and the shape of his kingdom to give meaning and significance to our lives. Can I say this? It's, this is heavy, but it's possible to inoculate your life with a, bit of, with a dab of Sunday morning timberline. Yep, you've done that. 
but then continue to make poor choices. What are we sowing? And then point number five, how are we responding? How are we responding? Enroll in the Babylonian Academy. How are we responding? We are going to suffer. It's part of breathing. First Peter 1, for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We're going to experience Babylon in terms of suffering. But here's the point. In Babylon, Daniel flourished. And he didn't just get promoted, but he received insight into God's cosmic plan. He discovered that the Babylonian Empire would fall, and then there would be three other empires that would come, and then Messiah would come. You see, in suffering, his faith got deeper. Suffering is a three-way junction. When suffering comes, we either walk away from God, we run towards God, and there's a third way, which is a kind of cruise control, still basically doing the Christian thing, but not much heart in it way. On our Timberline team, we have John Cook. He's been around here for about 30 years. He's our business administrator. This is John and Teresa. Teresa passed away from cancer three years ago. And as a staff team, we watched and walked with John as he suffered the unspeakable grief that some in the community here listening are very familiar with. John's heart was broken, but he chose not only to survive that, but to go deeper in his faith. And he started digging deeper, looking into the truth of heaven and earth coming together and the great renewal plan of God and the reconciliation that's to come. And I have his permission to share this, but he's a very humble man and would hesitate to hear me say this, but John's faith has become like gold because in the Babylonian academy, he's trusted God. And I know that is true of many here today too. But the last thing is this, who are our people? Who are our people? Don't be alone in a strange city. You see, Daniel had these three guys who became Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're not just three characters in the story, but they are a praying, counseling, wisdom community. Um, for the last number of years, I've been thinking about climbing a 14er. How many of you have ever climbed a 14er? Raise your hand if you have climbed a 14er. Well done. Um, how many of you have, would like to climb a 14er? You haven't done it yet, but you'd like to, like me. Raise, raise your hand. Okay. And how many of you, frankly, couldn't give a rip and you'd rather sit down and eat pizza? Just raise your hand. I have to say the majority, which is somewhat troublesome. If I was going to climb a 14er, um, I'd like to know what to take and who to go with. And I've been, I've been looking, I just turned 63, and I've been looking at the next 14 years of my life. So I'm 63 now, 14. Uh, uh, see that lightning mind there, see that? 
That's 70, 77, right? 77, yeah. And I've been thinking, who's my crew to climb that season of life with? Who, who are the friends that I've got? Where, where's the investment need to come from me? to? Because the, the next 14 years, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not hopeful for it, but things get more frail and the shrinking peninsula hairstyle will shrink further and friends are going to die and I'm not being morbid it's just it's just life and you say that's that's old guy talk this is true for any stage of life that you're in you could be 20 you could be 16 and you need to know who your crew is Daniel had that. Stanley Howells, you won't see the quote, I just found it, but it says this. He says this, to be resident but alien is a formula for loneliness that few of us can sustain. It's almost impossible to minister alone. Christians can survive only by supporting one another through the countless small acts through which we tell one another we are not alone, that God is with us. Friendship is not therefore accidental to the Christian life. Who's on our team? And can I say this, I hope without being misunderstood, I think that speaks of church. We say a lot around here, there are many great churches in northern Colorado, and we mean it, and we have never been about that Timberline is something better or other. Never done that. Never want to do it. But let's face it, in America, church is a buyer's market. It's plenty to choose from. And the danger of that is that you can only stick around long enough to get offended. And then the Lord leads you to go somewhere else. The Lord leads you. And you stay there long enough to get offended. Some Christians are on offended safari. They go to church to get offended. They're offended if they're not offended. They got upset at birth. They got offended at the midwife. Don't you slap me, honey. And I'm just talking about a sense of commitment to one another that is beyond consumerism or casual. Knowing our crew and knowing our crew. Daniel in a second choice world teaches us how to live. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you because an old story can be so applicable to where we live right now. We thank you for your presence with us and we, we ask you to help us to navigate life when it seems to be much about second choices, to make good decisions, knowing that actions have consequences, to respond to second choice with faith, that we might flourish and grow, and to know who our people are, our team, for the next season. Help us. Help us think about that this week. 
I wonder if I can ask you, the prayer time's not finished yet, but I wonder if I could just ask you to sit up, please, and open your eyes. Because I want to do something that we don't often do around here, but let's, let's just do it. Some of us, right now, are feeling like much of life is second choice. There's a lot of second choice happening in your life. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to respond by standing, if you're able. And I'm going to ask you to do that, not so that you might slap a label on yourself to say, yeah, there's so much second choice. Not a negative thing to put you under. But rather an invitation for us to pray together because you want to stand for God in second choice challenges. And you say, Pastor Jeff, everyone's looking. Yeah, I know. I know. I kind of did that deliberately. Not to parade you, but if we can't stand in here when we're around like-minded friends in a praying community. Now, can I just say, if you are unable to physically stand because of disability or illness, frailty, you are totally included in this, and of course that's understood. I need to say that. But if life is about a lot of second choice stuff right now, and you want God's strength and help to stand firm in it, I invite you now just to quietly stand to your feet. Why don't you go ahead and do that and follow these brave people who've already left, led the way. If that's how it is, then take this opportunity to respond for prayer. And I know with these things, it can take a moment for us just to process. And so I just want to say, it's not too late if you'd still like to join those who are already standing. Don't, don't get out on the parking lot and say, I wish I'd taken that moment. May I gently invite you to participate and stand if you'd like to. Go ahead if that's where you're at. Now please listen really carefully, congregation. Near you, there are people standing. We're going to pray, but I want a bit of holy chaos in the house. If you see people standing, particularly if you know them, I want you to go and stand with them and don't ask them why they're standing. That, please don't. Just go and stand with them and put a hand on their shoulder. If you don't know them, to make sure it's not awkward, let's say men go to men and women go to women. Would you look around, Timberline family, and make sure that no one is standing by themselves? Would you get up now and go, please, and stand with them? Come on, let's have some movement. Go stand with them. And in the confusion of people standing up and moving around, it is always possible that there could be some who've not had someone come to them yet. If that is the case, if no one's come to you, would you just hold up your hand so I can see you or they can see you? Because we can make sure that someone comes to you. And thank you, I think we have that. Now let's pray. Lord, we ask you as we stand 
together, we ask you for strength. We ask you for grace. We ask you not just that our friends will get through this, but that somehow you will even redeem that which you are not the architect of and that you will turn ashes into gold, that you will grant them peace and strength and good rest at night. Would you calm troubled souls? Would you rekindle hope where hope has faded? And before we end this, those of you who are helping us by just placing a hand on a shoulder, just in your heart, whisper a one-sentence prayer for that person. You may not even know them, but just from your, in your heart, just silently whisper a prayer of blessing and strength. So Lord, we gather up all of these thoughts and prayers and we offer them to you in Jesus' name, and everyone said...